You're listening to a special edition of the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. As many of you know, earlier this week on September 5th, the administration announced the end of DACA. Across the country, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, known as DACA, D-A-C-A, protected from the possibility of deportation roughly 800,000 immigrants who have grown up in the United States. These young adults were all brought here as children before they were old enough to choose where to live and they've known no other home. Developments, legal and political, are moving quickly. Despite the volatility, we wanted to share with you some personal reflections and reactions from pro bono leaders and meaningful ways that you could get involved and be of assistance right now. Take a listen to Chris Marquardt, David March, and Liz Marcucci, and let us know what you think. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Hey, how are you? We're great. Thank you so much for making the time for us today. By way of a little background, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a partner at Alston & Bird in Atlanta, Georgia. I've practiced at the firm for about 20 years now. I am in our labor and employment practice group where I focus primarily on complex civil litigation of disputes, uh, representing management in various capacities. I also am a co-leader of our firm's education task force, representing colleges and schools in various legal needs as they arise. And I'll disclose that we were at law school together, so Duke Law School, shout out. <laughs> I'll try not to share any stories. Um, maybe next time we have you back. Could you <laughs> tell us a little bit about the Latin American Association? Sure. So I have the privilege to be uh, board chair of the Latin American Association, which is a Georgia-based nonprofit that has uh, existed for 45 years. And we work with uh, the Latino immigrant community here in the state to provide legal services, social services, and we work in advocacy, education, and job readiness. So it's, it's a great organization that has been working in this community for a long time to address needs of first-generation immigrants who have arrived in Georgia. And what was your attraction to the organization and the work? The organization is just fantastic in our ability to help people uh, to adapt and to integrate and to thrive in the United States. It's exciting to see new generations of Americans coming in and wanting to contribute in a really positive and meaningful way to this country and to our local communities. So my personal interaction with the clients that we serve at that uh, facility has been really rewarding, and that's what has driven me to join and to remain actively engaged. So today we're talking to pro bono leaders about their experience with DACA. Could you tell us about yours? Sure. I've been working on DACA issues since June of 2012 when the program was announced by President Obama. At that time, um, I worked with some other folks in the community to put on a series of um, public forums uh, at the Latin American Association and at um, some churches in the community to get the word out about DACA to the potential beneficiaries. So um, from that point, uh, I put together 
um, or helped to put together, I should say, um, a clinic uh, that was primarily sponsored by AILA and other immigration lawyers in the area uh, to process paperwork for potential DACA beneficiaries. That was in August, September timeframe of 2012. Um, and then from that point, I have uh, represented on a pro bono basis some DACA recipients in my practice here at the firm. I've helped our firm put together some partner activities with client organizations uh, to process paperwork for DACA applicants. Um, and I've helped uh, my pro bono clients with renewals over the years. So without violating any confidentiality or sharing anything inappropriate, could you generally tell us about the people that you've helped, sort of a, a, a profile or a story or two? Sure. And I'll not talk about my personal clients, but I'll talk about people that I've met in the community at, at public events who are covered by this program. The young adults who are covered by DACA really represent some of the best and brightest people that are in our communities. And these are folks that are part of who we are as America and who we are as Georgia. They're hardworking um, immigrant kids who arrived here in the country while they were children, have grown up in our communities, have gone to our public schools, have pursued higher education, have worked hard, and have done everything that we've asked them to do as they have chased the American dream. These are all really good people, hardworking people, folks that have passed extensive criminal background checks, given their names and addresses to the federal government, gone through biometrics testing, and have been completely vetted. We're talking about 800,000 people who we have invested in uh, as a nation in, in their education. They have grown up here with us and among us, and they are doing great things in the workforce with the work authorization permits that they obtained through the DACA program. So when I interact with these young adults um, personally, what I see is resolve and talent and diligence and greatness and really everything that we want in Americans. What's been your reaction to Tuesday's news about the cancellation of the program? On a personal level, it was disappointing to see the Attorney General make the announcement that DACA would be rescinded. It was heartbreaking given the many young people I know that have been uh, in large ways transformed by uh, the work authorization uh, permits they've received through the program. Um, but really more than anything, it, my reaction is um, one of resolve and um, really uh, doubling down on my efforts to work on behalf of DACA recipients. Um, and, and the work now is focused on a legislative fix, uh, given the fact that the program has been rescinded. So as you know, there are bills in the House and in the Senate presently to try and address um, in a legislative way um, the immigration status of uh, all the young adults who are covered by the DACA program today. 
And so a lot of focus now is on advocacy work and um, trying to do what can be done to persuade senators to support the Bipartisan DREAM Act that's currently um, there in the Senate and um, House members to either find a way to also support the DREAM Act in the House or the RAC bill or other legislative proposals that have come out of the House. Do you have anything to add about where you see things going from here? Well, things are definitely going uh, to Congress and these legislative proposals that I just referenced. I'm really optimistic uh, that there is going to be a a good solution that provides permanency um, and um, a, a real opportunity for the young adults that are covered by DACA. These DACA recipients are strong, they're resilient, they're organized, um, and they have a lot of support from the faith community, from the business community, and just from good people that recognize that these young people are Americans in every way but one, and Congress can come in and make the fix for them by giving them permanent legal status. Uh, Within the last week or 10 days, uh, we've seen more bipartisan voices uh, talking um, uh, about things like the DREAM Act and other legislative solutions for uh, for these young adults. So I'm optimistic that Congress uh, can get something done and hopeful that it happens. How do you think pro bono lawyers can be of most help in the short term right now? Well, in the short term, uh, pro bono lawyers can find uh, local legal organizations that are working and have been working on these issues for a long time. Um, the announcement that came out Tuesday about DACA indicates that the program will be rescinded as of early March of next year, but people that are already uh, in the program will be allowed to maintain their work authorization until it expires. So that can be up, up to two years from now. There is a group of DACA recipients, however, that's kind of caught in the middle, and that th- those are the recipients whose um, current work authorization is set to expire between now and March 5th of 2018. There is a deadline set of October 5th for renewal applications to be processed for that group of folks, and so that's the most immediate need. And if we, um, as pro bono lawyers, can find partner organizations that are helping to process those applications in the next month or so, uh, that's the best and most tangible way that we can have an immediate impact. In addition to that, uh, we can also all reach out to our senators and our congresspeople and urge them to support the DREAM Act and other bipartisan bills uh, that are looking for a permanent legislative fix for the recipients of DACA. Thank you. And listeners, if you want to learn more from Chris, I refer you to an opinion piece he published on uh, Tuesday in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's called DACA Recipients Are Georgians Too, and we'll put links out on our social media. Chris, thank you so much for your time and all the great work that you are doing. Thank you for uh, focusing attention on this really important issue. Hi, David. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. For context, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. I am the president of the Minnesota Corporate Pro Bono Council. Uh, I do a lot of pro bono work and coordinate pro bono work between attorneys who are working at law departments in the Minnesota, greater Minnesota areas. 
So today, we're talking to pro bono leaders about their experience with DACA. Tell us about your and the in-house council community's uh, involvement. Uh, Yes, I'm glad to. So DACA is one of those programs that seems to lend itself very easily to uh, the kind of work that in-house lawyers and paralegals like to do. I would say that law departments have been active in uh, working on working with DACA clients and DACA renewal clients uh, essentially since the program was started. And we've probably, probably, I would say, across several companies, it's one of the most popular pro bono activities that attorneys and paralegals engage in. Why do you think that is? I think there are unique aspects to what in-house teams like to do that lend themselves perfectly to the kind of work that DACA requires. First of all, I think in-house attorneys and paralegals love to establish personal connections directly with clients. DACA allows that. You get to know a young person. uh, You get to meet with them. You get to hear what they're interested in, what they're doing, Um, high school students, college students. Uh, young people in the military, it's very, very exciting uh, to, to hear those personal experiences. Um, second, it is uh, there's a lot of paperwork involved, so it gives us a chance to work collaboratively with others like paralegals or other attorneys. And then there's a finality to it when the, um, when the DACA status is approved. It's a very discreet time commitment, and the work is very reasonable. And the added benefit of being able to get to know a client, it all lends itself well to that kind of work. So we are dealing with some breaking news this week. What has been the in-house community's reaction to Tuesday's news about the cancellation of the program? I think the reaction is mixed in the sense of people want to pitch in and help as much as they can. So with the DACA renewal deadline being October 5th, we all understand that there's a surge of demand for people who want their DACA status renewed. And there's a lot of coordination work right now being done to try to marshal all of the existing volunteers. And I think, you know, there are two types of volunteers with DACA. There are the people who have been doing this consistently over and over and over again since the program was started. And then there are attorneys and paralegals who maybe did one or two cases when it began or received some training and maybe did one or two cases while, you know, some sometime during the last couple of years, everyone is coming out of the woodwork. So anyone who has any kind of experience working with DACA clients, they're looking for ways to volunteer and to help meet the demand that's out there today. And what's available right now? How do you think in-house pro bono lawyers can be of most help? Well, I think, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of time to train new volunteers. And so in Minnesota, at least, the organizations that are really active in the DACA work are looking for volunteers that they've trained and volunteers that have taken cases. And hopefully, we have a large enough pool to be able to meet the demand. But if we can't, then I know we're going to have to find ways to devote resources to training. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways? To me, it's really encouraging to see all of the attorneys and paralegals who have touched DACA clients in some way step forward and want to do something positive to help. I think there's hope that this isn't a permanent situation in terms of the cancellation of the program. I think there's great hope that the program will continue in some way through congressional actions or some other way, but we're focused on dealing with the 
immediate crisis. And it's great to see the resources that everyone is putting behind the effort to try to make that happen. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for all the inspiring pro bono work that you do and that you lead. Thank you for having me. Liz, welcome back to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Thanks, Trina. Happy to be back. If Liz's name sounds familiar, it's because she's been a guest on the show before. Her full and amazing episode aired earlier this year on March 16th. So if for some reason you missed it, please go back to our archives and check it out. We issued an SOS this morning to talk about this week's news. Thanks so much for answering the call. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So for background, could you remind us where you work and what you do? I work at Volunteers of Legal Service, a nonprofit located in New York City. Um, We have been around for over 35 years, and we were founded by city bar members and partners at law firms to implement pro bono programs to provide opportunities for uh, lawyers to give back and volunteer their time uh, to do different types of work um, helping New Yorkers in a variety of areas. And I started a project, oh, close to what, seven or so years now that works with immigrant youth. Uh, We do legal clinics in high schools primarily. And we um, work on a variety of different legal issues, but a large portion of our population do not have other immigration options. And so a lot of them are DACA recipients. We are laser-focused today, talking to pro bono leaders about their experience with DACA. So tell us about yours. Well, I actually remember quite vividly the day that the announcement was made to create an affirmative program where young people who were brought to the United States at a young age prior to turning 16 could affirmatively apply for something called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And DACA... You know, what a lot of people don't realize is that deferred action has been around for a really, really long time. It's an administrative convenience, so to speak. It's, you know, it's not something that was new. It just, in terms of how people could obtain the um, sort of acknowledgement of the government that they could stay in the country and they were getting a reprieve from removal for a period of time. And with that reprieve from removal, they could apply under a regulation for um, concurrent employment authorization. And that's sort of like the carrot for DACA. Um, And so when that announcement was made, it had come on the heels of several efforts to pass legislation, which had failed. Um, And it was legislation which would have allowed these young people a permanent pathway. Uh, It was called the DREAM Act. So there's a lot of confusion between the DREAM Act and DACA at the beginning. And I remember actually being really disappointed. (laughs) Unlike a lot of people that were excited, and I understand the excitement, it came on the heels of a lot of advocacy from amazing young people affected by these terrible policies and fighting for their rights and marching in Washington and organizing and, and really pushing the administration to act. Um, at the same time, in my heart, I was disappointed because I felt that it was a half measure um, at the time. And although it was not hopeful and a lot of my clients sort of turned my perspective around Um, I was very suspicious of the program. I was concerned that it was not enough for what they, you know, not enough. They deserved more. 
and uh, it would instead of, instead of move them forward to get something better and permanent, it would be this like perpetual limbo. And you know, eventually I be, you know, embraced DACA, but I, I do remember when it first came into play, having very mixed feelings about it. And then once I would speak to my clients and a lot of clients I'd already met and not been able to provide them with options or pathways to permanent residence or citizenship, and they really had a totally different mindset and approach that opened my eyes about how amazing it was to at least have more opportunities. And, you know, a lot of them used an expression like not look over their shoulder or come out of the shadows. And so I was involved in organizing a lot of legal clinics at law firms, um, training lawyers at firms to prepare applications, vetting young people for DACA, as well as other forms of relief over the years. And uh, we've done numerous clinics in New York City. I, I also volunteered at other clinics because there's so many people in New York uh, who were eligible and we didn't know how long the program was going to last. Uh, I think at the time people were hopeful it would sort of turn into something more permanent and there were talks that never went anywhere that did that. And so I think most recently, you know, we've all been very, very concerned right from election day that this population who had provided, you know, detailed information and been super brave to come out and give their information to the government and trust that that information would be protected and, and that they were doing the right thing and paying taxes and doing all the things that they're supposed to do. Uh, I think that to be met now with this fear that is, is present, um, has really made me, you know, change, you know, my perspective on this program in some ways, uh, in, in wondering if it allowed us to be complacent, uh, and not fight for something better. And so at this point, you know, where I'm talking to clients and I'm trying to console them because my involvement in the last few days has been mostly to encourage young people not to give up hope and to connect with other organizers and advocate for, for something better. Um, I think I'm also trying to think really strategically about, you know, what, how we can support those efforts. So before we move on, I have a question because you expressed your ambivalence, right, in 2012 about was this a half measure? Was this, you know, a half loaf? (laughs) Were we accepting too little? Was it for all the reasons that you said? And so a related question that that has come up and I've seen, and so I'm curious as an expert in the field what your take is. There's some pushback against using the term dreamers. Right. Right. Because of the failure of the DREAM Act. And so it's confusing and kind of not appropriate. What terminology do you prefer? What What do you recommend for for people to use? I just use immigrant. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't really, I think that we think about dreamers as sort of young people, but I think their parents have dreams. <laughs> they're, you know, there's like, it, it's, it's not, you know, I think it's also um, playing into this idea of the the deserving immigrant and and separating the good from the bad and 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 buying into this narrative where you know you have to be perfect or work twice as hard or or, or be you know anything other than a human being um, in order to deserve a fair law that would you know not 
uh, discriminate against you and your family. And, you know, we don't have time today <laughs> probably to talk about how discriminatory immigration laws have been historically and the, the different ways they're applied to different populations and, and different things. But I think we can't ignore the racism that exists in some of the policies and how they're implemented. Yeah, that's dynamite. I've been really struggling with appropriate language that doesn't build on that narrative of the good immigrant, the deserving, you know, and and that doesn't promote sort of the the stereotypes. And and, thank you for that. Before we move on, could you shed some light on the people that you've worked with? Uh, you know, you've said it in a way they've, they, che- they did change your mindset. There, there was a, a change of thinking. You know, who are they and, and why? How did that happen? I'm very grateful to be able to do what I do because every time I reach some sort of seemingly unsurpassable obstacle in terms of my willpower or, you know, my my sort of faith in the system or in the rule of law, I talk to just amazing people and human beings who are here by choice in some cases, and maybe not all of them, you know, by accident others. It's hard to just like choose one person or one characteristic, but I'm constantly, you know, when I'm talking to individuals about what's going on and how this is affecting them, they're like, thinking about me and asking how I'm doing and, you know, recognizing I've been doing this for a long time. I can't lump them all into one story or or person. It's just amazing people that I've met from many different places with tons of different ambitions that I just feel very privileged to get to do what I do with them. So you had very visceral memories from 2012 when the program was created. What's yeah. been your reaction to Tuesday's news? I mean, it's kind of amazing how strange life can be. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that previously when we spoke, but I'm actually Canadian. Yes, yes. And yeah, your and own so immigrant story, I've had my right? own immigration yes. journey here. And what, what was really, really bizarre about Tuesday is that I was in the middle of my own interview to obtain permanent residence uh, on Tuesday morning, literally while the press conference was happening. And that in of itself is its own experience. Um, you know, going through that process and even knowing what I know and having an expertise, like feeling nervous and, you know, my husband, like botching one of the questions <laughs> and, and, you know, because it was very ambiguous and oddly worded question and, you know, being assured that everything was fine and I would get a decision in a couple of weeks as I'm walking out and I'm seeing sort of the last few minutes of the attorney general making that announcement. So I don't even know if I had a moment to register the relief I felt in my own immigration journey taking um, a step forward uh, and I had to sit down in the waiting room and it just sort of started to dawn on me how like how this was going to affect so many different people's lives and the fear that it was going to and the havoc it was going to wreak um, on these families and people and not only like the ones I know, but just so many that are out there that don't even have the benefit of a lawyer to talk to or support. And I 
I think I might have started swearing at first, and then I started to cry a little because I just felt profound sadness. I think you will, yeah, you will remember that. So that was the <laughs> yeah. first reaction yeah. that I had. Yeah. And then I had lunch with my husband, and he walked me to work, and then I got busy, and we started you know, responding to clients and trying to reach out to them and, you know, get a grasp on what it meant, who this affected, who we needed to work on and just got busy. And I've kind of just been busy ever since. That is a perfect narrative. I don't know. Have you ever heard this, that when confronted with situations like this, we have two options. We can wring our hands or we can roll up our sleeves and get to work, but you can't do both at the same time. Like it's physically impossible. So I feel like you went from one to the other in the the space of a very short amount of time. So where do you see things going from here? Uh, That's, I think, probably the hardest question. You know, I really want to be positive. I think I'm struggling with that a little bit these days. I'm trying to, you know, be realistic, but also encouraging everybody that cares at all about law or other human beings needs to do something. And I, I think that without that kind of effort on multiple fronts, which I'm happy to see is happening immediately with, you know, the lawsuits and the 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 organizing in the streets and legal clinics and, you know, all of these like practice guides out there. That's the one thing that gives me like the hope and the, the knowledge that we are resilient and we're going to move forward and work together and just not give up. And so, I really don't know. I I want to hope for the best. I have to believe that, as, you know, has been wisely said before, that, you know, that we're, the arc is bending towards justice. I'm totally botching that quote, but it's been a long couple of days already. So. It does, but it's slow. So, um, how, you, you spoke about this a little bit, but let's drill down. How can pro bono lawyers be of most help? I think right now, there's, I think it's it's sort of a two-part process for us. We want to make sure that everybody that needs to renew or that can renew within this time frame, right, between now and October 5th, if their expiration date is going to occur before March the 5th of 2018, if you can learn how to help someone complete uh, a renewal application and tap into an organization that has the clients that need assistance, uh, that's a great way to do that. Um, If you're going to need a lot of supervision or training to do that, maybe that's not the best place for you right now because I don't think there's a lot of extra resources to go around. But I'm sure there's like videos you can watch and great tools that are out there, webinars to get yourself up to speed. I know I've created that and worked with lawyers both at their firms and more recently having them come into our office on a rotating basis. So that I think is really helpful if you've done one of these before and a lot of pro bono lawyers have helped in the past you know, come and work with someone to do that. I think if you have any immigration experience uh, on any type of case, um, I know one of the things we try to do with a lot of our clients is not rest on DACA, but try to pursue other permanent pathways. And there are a lot of people that need help 
um, working on cases that can actually bring them permanent relief um, on U visa cases, special immigrant juvenile cases, deportation defense cases, asylum cases. There's so many other um, examples of the kind of work that if you don't know how to do, do a webinar, go to a training. And, you know, if a lot of the resources are being used for one particular area, there's going to create a need for people doing the other kinds of cases. So, you know, there are naturalization clinics happening anything out there that can support this population. And if you can't do that work, donate to a nonprofit in a, especially if it's like certain areas where that are, don't have, are not inundated with, you know, the kind of volume of pro bono help um, that are on the ground in the trenches, you know, help people. Um, if there is a reputable place that's collecting filing fees, all of those things are meaningful ways to support. Call, you know, friends and family, um, especially in states that may have more of an impact to share stories and push people and educate them about what's going on. Because, you know, I've met many lawyers who think you can just solve an immigration problem by marrying someone, which is not the case. And um, if you know a little bit more about that, have conversations and really awaken people's understanding of how this impacts um, so many, so many lives across the country. Thank you. I think those are great tips for people who want to get involved wherever they are on the spectrum of experience and geography and um, um, skills, backgrounds, and um, abilities. Do you have anything you want to add? No, I mean, thank you so much for letting me um, express my feelings <laughs> this day. I think I've been bottling a lot of stuff up today, <laughs> just trying to you know, buckle down and get to work. So I, thank I, you I, for that. Oh, I hear um, you. Maybe I you should helpful. Maybe you should listen to yourself because when we spoke in March, we talked a lot about self care. So <laughs> you give yourself yeah, a no, booster. No, I right? totally skipped yoga this week, so <laughs> that did that happen. Um, so maybe this weekend we'll see. Great. Well, Liz, thank you so much for answering the call and for all the amazing work you and Vols are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Chris, David, and Liz for sharing their perspectives. And thank you to Cheryl Naja, producer Misha, and our podcast team for coordinating our guests and working overtime to produce this episode in record time. And to all of our friends in Florida and the Southeast, as Irma approaches, we are thinking of you and ready to help. Be safe. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and please take a moment to leave a review. We'd appreciate the feedback, and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. For all of us here at PBI, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.